Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and I am the host of the podcast titled Revolution Z. This is our 171st episode, and it's the fourth in our sequence titled Transition, and this one is about the logic of transition. It is a draft of what might be the third chapter of a book on the topic of transition to a participatory society. This chapter is shorter than the two offered earlier, making this an unusually short Revolution Z episode. But that means we will have some room at the end, which I will use to discuss the transition project as a whole, writing more broadly, and a plan to get help generating its content. At any rate, first, a draft of this possible chapter begins. We are now at condition start, capitalist, racist, sexist society. We want to reach condition future, participatory society. Some would label everything in between transition, but that is not our use of the term. We anticipate a period of mainly organizing support and contesting the dictates of current society's defining features before we reach what we call transition. Only following such a time of struggle for hugely increased influence will we enter a period of mostly using that influence to construct the new society's defining features, which new period we call transition. This is just words, yes. But what we call things can sometimes point us toward paying attention differently than if we chose other labels. How we name things, what we even select as things to name at all, can matter. But names for things are often fuzzy or porous. The border between the strategic period of mainly contesting against old racist, patriarchal, authoritarian, capitalist structures on the one hand, and the transition period of mainly constructing new intercommunalist, feminist, participatory political, and participatory economic structures on the other hand, is fuzzy. Even when we mainly contest current relations, we will to some degree plant the seeds of the future. Likewise, even when we mainly construct the sought future, we will still have to contest residual structures and actors that seek to resurrect old conditions. There will be no firm temporal border between the two periods. It will not be that one day we are in strategic mode and the next day we are in transition mode. Yet we can still refer to the two modes, even though each contains elements of the other and there is no sharp border with two names. We focus on each taken separately as two periods. We do not focus on both taken together as one period. During strategic contestation, which comes first, movements for a new society seek new support. They raise new consciousness. They develop new commitment and organization. They contest existing relations to win new gains that move us toward our sought, transformed society. At the same time, during strategic contestation, such movements also envision, share, and begin to implement features of the sought new society as seeds of the future in the present. During construction, or what we call transition, which comes second, movements have already largely transcended existing relations. They have moved from being oppositional to having sufficient power to create new relations. Forces of reaction persist, and struggle against those forces continues, but the main focus shifts from seeking to defeat the old order to seeking to construct a new society. You may wonder, however, once movements move from mainly opposing society's old features to mainly defining society's new features, why can't we simply say that we have won? Why can't we say, victory is ours and enjoy it? 
Why should we see this period as transition and not as victory? One possible reason is that there are still forces seeking to subvert the change. Struggle is not finished. Contestation with the old continues. Albeit with our movements now ascendant and with supporters of past structures a hopefully dwindling opposition. A more instructive reason, however, which gives transition its logic and its agenda, is that creating the new involves many preparatory and constructive steps. As transition begins, success of any sort, much less attaining what we desire, is not yet stable. First, movement efforts can revert or be reverted. Second, movement efforts can proceed, but attain ends other than those sought. Examples of each result are well known. Often revolutions have attained a position from which they begin to define a new order. But also, often such revolutionary potentials have then simply fallen apart or have reverted. Or they have proceeded, but only to construct something very different than most partisans hoped for. This is often blamed on recalcitrant, residual forces of reaction, or on external pressures, or on insufficient levels of technical development, among other causes. And those factors can certainly play a role, or even be definitive. What is less often acknowledged, however, is that the actual commitments of the revolutionary actors can lead to adverse results, or that the actual intrinsic implications of policies or structures that revolutionary actors themselves implement with intentions other than those that result can lead to adverse results. What constructive steps during transition are essential to arrive where we desire and to not revert or attain other than what we desire? That is our main transition question. To repeat one last time, to successfully establish a stable new system requires battling against the old, of course. More, it requires attaining sufficient scope and power to not only defeat the old, but also to construct the new. Finally, it then requires not only preventing the old from regaining ascendancy, but also developing and maintaining the sought new without devolving into an unsought deviation. The rest of this book seeks to provide useful observations about each aspect of the journey to a new society. So, that's it. That is the end of the rough draft of a brief chapter on the logic of transition. Maybe it will get longer, or maybe not. Drafts are, by definition, not final products. Does it need historical examples which clarify claims, or would that just get long and somewhat academic? Might including historical examples cause readers to get bogged down instead of looking forward? At this point, for those who write, or who wonder about writing, and those who now wonder where the transition stuff is headed, I thought I'd ruminate a bit on the plan and the emerging process. The goal is to come up with ideas that bear upon how we win a new world, how we win a new society. How do we organize now against the prevailing structures that we endure? How do we develop movements? How do we develop organizations? How do we win gains? How do we get to a point where we're in position to basically create the features of a new society? That's the point at which we are engaged in what we're going to call transition. Before that, we're engaged in what we'll call, say, strategic struggle. And so the book is going to address as its next two 
broad focuses, I don't know how much time it will take, I don't know how much space it will require, uh, first that strategic period and then that transition period. How do we write about this? There are lots of different writing styles. Some people outline very carefully everything that they're going to say all the way to the end. Then they begin to write and uh, write and write. Sometimes they plow through. They write from beginning to end, essentially a first draft of everything. Sometimes they write and then revisit and revisit again and revisit again. For some people, that approach is deadening. It, it leads to getting bogged down. For other people, that approach works really well. Different strokes for different folks. Another part of writing is the sort of, I don't know what to call it, the approach to trying to communicate ideas. One way to do that, perfectly valid, is to use historical examples in this kind of a situation, to use examples to extrapolate uh, lessons, I suppose you could say, from those examples, and thereby to pose or posit or put forth the ideas that one intends to communicate. Another way to do it is to try to do it by way of not historical examples, not the past, but reasoning about the present and about what is sought, and then using that material as the evidence and trying to distill from that lessons and ideas that bear upon what it is that one is trying to communicate. Trying to write about strategy and transition, the main point is, whatever choices one makes about how to approach the writing and about how to deal with uh, trying to communicate the ideas, the substance itself is rather intimidating. It's not something concrete. It's entirely contextual, or at least it's very largely contextual. What goes as strategy in one situation, in one society in one uh, 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 struggle against circumstances with particular characteristics that are intrinsic to a particular society, but different in another society, are different. And so it's hard to say things that are general, and yet that's what you need to do. That's what one uh, uh, can put in something, in a, in a work, that's supposed to be helpful. It has to be things that are helpful generally, that are helpful across the board. Same thing applies to the idea of transition. Transition, even from the same kind of society to the same kind of goal, goes through a different process, involves um, different circumstances at the outset, and so on. And so it's, again, contextual. And that's intimidating because it means, despite the fact that you can't talk in great detail and be relevant across the board, if you want to be relevant across the board or to try to be relevant across the board, you have to talk in less than great detail, but nonetheless capture enough content to make general um, conclusions or to draw general conclusions. In this case, trying to write about strategy and transition, the main point is whatever choices one makes about how to approach writing, the substance is intimidating. So the really big question isn't, uh, you know, what, what 
tactics will you use to outline or will you write through to the end and then revise or will you revise as you go along? Those aren't the really big questions. The really big questions in this particular case is where is the substance going to come from? Well, the obvious answer is going to be from personal experiences on the one hand and from evaluations of historic experiences on the other hand. But whose? Whose personal experiences? Any one person's are likely to be too narrow to be sufficient to draw compelling, generalizable conclusions. And which evaluations of historic experiences? Again, whose experiences of the history? People bring a lot of baggage to such matters. You may remember that uh, back in an earlier transition episode in the, in the sequence, I mentioned trying to invite listeners uh, to respond and to offer suggestions and to offer reactions. And I'm still um, interested in hearing that. I'm interested in people going to, uh, say, the Patreon site and appending comments uh, to, to the episodes. I know it's not something that people do on a regular basis, and so I have to admit I don't expect to get that much feedback that way, and so I'm still left intimidated. So what other power approach can there be? And I will tell you that we're going to try something a little different with this. I've been in touch with a lot of people. Not a ton of people. Let me, let me clarify that. Maybe 25, 28, 30 people, something like that. In essence saying, can we put together a group in order to meet occasionally, probably once a month, something like that, and talk about these issues, talk about broad strategic issues, broad transition issues of going from the society that we now endure to a participatory society in such a way as to inform the emergence of a written project and perhaps other projects, public talks, uh, articles, whatever. And um, would people be interested in participating in that? Well, that's rather unusual. It might even lead to, you know, you could imagine it leaving to books by, I mean, articles by various peoples in the group, for example. But you could also imagine it leading to a book, and the book might be by, I mean, you could imagine it being by one person, most books are, or maybe two or three people. A lot of books are written that way, or maybe a significant number of people who are participating in these ongoing discussions so that it would be a collective work. I don't know what's going to emerge from this project. I mean, you know, look, honestly, what might emerge is that we all get together, we have a first meeting, and uh, you know, we look at each other and say, well, this was a courageous but dumb idea, so we're not going to proceed with it. The other possibility is that people will find the, the discussing of these issues to be informative and helpful in and of itself, and will begin to feel like the uh, forging of the insights that, that emerge into a document is a good idea, and so maybe there will be a resulting book, say, among other possible products. There will be episodes. Uh, we've now done a few episodes on transition. This is the fourth, I think. Is that right? Yeah, this is, this is the fourth that we've done, and there'll be a significant amount of discussing of strategy and a significant amount of discussion of transition. I would wager that there'll be uh, two, maybe three episodes uh, arising from those discussions 
from each, so that would be maybe four or six altogether, and it might even be more than that. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, it's an experiment. You can be part of it, uh, not just listening, but even participating if you go to the Patreon website and leave messages, leave comments. Um, You can also email me if you like, whatever you like, um, if you have ideas bearing on uh, the pursuit of this project. Thanks very much. That said, this is Mike Albert signing off until next time for Revolution Z.